So this is the first chapter and then half of the second chapter of Nehemiah. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month Chislev, in the 20th year, while I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came. And I asked them about the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and disgrace. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Now when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, please, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps the covenant and faithfulness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the word of prayer your servant, which I am praying before you now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have committed against you. I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, please, the word which you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you amongst the peoples. If you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote part of the heavens, I will gather you from there and bring them to the place where I have chosen to have my name dwell. They are your servants and your people who you redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Please, Lord, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name. And please make your servant successful today and grant him mercy before this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Ataxes, that wine was before him. And I picked up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, Why is your face sad, though you are not ill? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid, and I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the site of my father's tomb, is desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? Then the king said to me, what would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor with you, I request that you send me to Judah, the city of my father's tomb, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, with the queen sitting beside him, how long will your journey be, and when will you return? If it so pleases the king to send me, I give, him, sorry, I give him a definite time. 
And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river so that they will allow me to pass through and come to Judah. And a letter to Asaphir, the king, keeper of the king's forests, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city and for the house to which I will go. And the king granted them to me because the good hand of my God was on me. Amen. Excellent. Thank you. So, those of you who know the story of Nehemiah know that he did go on to build uh, the Jerusalem. He went back and the king granted him those things. And we're not going to look at the end of the story, but I want to look at that passage that was read for us so well. Uh, that story of the beginning of Nehemiah. And uh, Susa, which is where Nehemiah was, is, was in Persia, a current day Iran. And he was an exile. Well, probably his parents were actual exiles, and he was most likely born in Persia. They'd probably been there about 50, 55 years. So like refugees, you know, it's a word that is very currently in our vocabulary at the moment. We know people who are uh, pushed out of their country. Well, this is what happened to uh, the Jews. They were pushed out of Israel and Judah, and they were taken over by the Babylonians, and they were here in, or well, they were dispersed, but uh, Hakaliah was uh, in Persia, and that's probably where Nehemiah was born and brought up. And so we see him in the king's household. So he would have been brought up, uh, as it were, in the Persian culture. He would have been accepted uh, as a child. My brother, when he went to France, uh, I don't know, 20 plus years ago, he went with two small children. And now, when they speak French, you, you wouldn't know they weren't French. And yet, when they speak English, you wouldn't know they've been living in You know, it's just amazing. They're completely bilingual. And he would have been the same. He would have taken on the culture of uh, the, the country around him. But he had done well. That role of cupbearer to the king where, it, you know, it says he, he sort of gave the king the wine. He would have had to have tasted it and shown that it wasn't poisoned. But it was a role that was actually bigger and wider than that. He would probably have been responsible for sourcing not just the king's wines, but the, the royal household. He would have had to liaise with different vineyard owners and producers of wine and found the right ones and the right color and the right flavors. And so he would have had a nose and a palate. He would have been able to smell the wine and know what was in it and where it had come from and how good it was. He would have been able to taste it and know that it was going to go well with this particular food. He would have liaised with the chef and the kitchens in the royal palace to make sure that the, the right wine was introduced with the right food. He would have been responsible for the king's personal uh, wine as well as banquets. This was a significant role. He would have been a high-ranking official in the king's household. But not only that, 
he would have been highly trusted. You, you don't put the cupbearer as the role to somebody that you're not quite sure about. You know, if, you, if you're concerned that somebody might poison you, you want the person who's going to taste that wine first to be your good friend and someone you know you can trust. And that was the role that Nehemiah had. He, he'd obviously grown up somehow and got this role. And so he was a good cupbearer. He did his job well. But we see from the story, from what went on, that he had other passions. So when friends came from Jerusalem, he immediately, what's happening? How are things going? How are our people doing? How's the remnant? And he's devastated when he hears that the walls are broken down and the gates are burnt. So what does he do? Well, he prays. He prays to the God of heaven. And we see from his prayer that he has been brought up well as a Jew. Because he immediately, there are sort of three parts to the, well actually there were two prayers where one that we know and one that we don't know, where it says, where he's before the king, I prayed to the God of heaven and then I spoke. But that first prayer, we see the first part is he, he just acknowledges who God is. Almighty God, the one who rules and reigns, who is faithful to his people. Just like the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And, you know, whether you pray that as a prayer or whether you use it as a pattern, the point is we just acknowledge who God is and where we are before him. When we pray like that, it's not for God's benefit. It's for our benefit. We identify ourselves as children of the king, the one who is in control, and that's what Nehemiah did. He identified that he was a, a child of God, the God who was in control. And then he goes on to speak to God about what he had spoken to Moses centuries before. So he had been brought up well. He'd been taught the stories of how God had brought the people of Israel out of Egypt and taken them into the promised land. But he also knew that what God had said was, if you follow my commandments, all will be well. But if you don't, I will disperse you. And he's acknowledging, yes, that's, that's what's happened. That's why I'm here in Persia and not back in Jerusalem. Because we as the people of God have failed. He acknowledges it. He identifies it. And then he says, I repent. I repent. He wasn't even born. He says, I, I repent. And I repent on the part, behalf of my father and my family. And I repent on behalf of this nation because we've gone astray. We've gone our own way. And then, he says, God help me. Now what we see from Nehemiah is a man who was brought up in a Persian culture who could easily have taken citizenship if there was such a thing in those days. But he had a hidden passion. What was on the outside 
was Persian. What was on the inside was Jewish. He was a man of God. He was a man who was passionate for God, for the people of God, for the city of God. So when he hears this news, he's completely distraught. And he prays and fasts and he gets before God. Now, I don't know whether you notice, but it, the chapter one starts by saying, in the month of Chislev. And chapter two starts by saying, in the month of Nisan. Well, Chislev was about sort of November, December time. And Nisan is about March, April time. So there's about three, four, five months between those two things. So we know that Nehemiah said, I prayed for days. Sounds like he prayed for months. And during that time, he was able to keep a happy face because that was what was required of him when he was in front of the king. For months. And yet inside, he's churned up. He can't believe what's happened to his people. And that the gates are burnt and the walls are broken. And he feels it. He's got a passion to see that change. So what does he do? What has he done during those months? Well, he's prayed. He's prayed. But he's also done something else. He's planned. Because we know when he speaks to the king, he has the answer of what's required. You see, he doesn't sit back and say, your kingdom come, your will be done. I'll put my feet up and wait for you to act. And when you do, I'll, I'll be ready. I'm resting. You know, I'm just, I'm resting. Yeah, I'm just waiting. No, he's planning. He knows what he needs. He knows he's going to need wood. So he thinks, okay, I'm, I need access to the king's forest. And actually, if I'm going to get back there, I need, I need to have letters to enable me to get through these different territories. He's ready. He's planned. He's got himself organized. And so when that moment comes, when his guard slips and suddenly he's in the king's presence looking sad. And the king says, what's the matter with you? You're not ill. And he puts, puts a, put his finger right on it. His sadness of heart. Yeah, he's absolutely right. That's exactly how Nehemiah felt. He was sad in his heart. And then he says, what do you want? And it's amazing. Do you notice? Did you notice how Nehemiah spoke to the king? He says, O king, live forever. You know, that's the appropriate starter phrase. And then he goes, Why would I not be sad when my when the walls of the my father's city are broken down? I can't imagine many people speak to the king like that. That says something of his relationship, but also his passion. He couldn't help himself. And so amazingly, the king says, what do you want me to do? And he doesn't say, well, if you give me a couple of days, I'll, I'll, just, I'll do a bit of planning. Uh, I've got some ideas. I'll come back to you. No. He's absolutely ready in that moment. This is what I need. Can you sign letters? I need access through this territory. I need access to the king's forest. I need the wood. This is what I need it for. This, and I'm sure there was more there than we have read out to us. And the king says, yeah, okay, done. And what did it say? 
king agreed because of the good hand of God was with me. So those prayers, you see, we don't see God answering. We don't have any, there's no evidence there that God spoke back to Nehemiah. What we see is Nehemiah taking initiative. And what I want to say out of that passage is one thing. And I don't want to upset you by saying this, but this is it. What's your passion? And what are you doing about it? When we were in Hastings, uh, the leadership team there asked Liz and I if we would uh, get involved with one of the life groups uh, because it was getting a bit cumbersome and a bit large and the couple weren't, who were running it were you know, struggling a little bit and they said, would we get involved and see if we could help them? So we said, yeah, of course. So the first thing we did, we didn't go to the life group. The first thing we did was we said to the couple, let's, let's get together. Let's have a meal together. Let's, let's find out about you. And we just chatted with them. You know, how they got together and what their kids were. You know, they had three little girls and, you know, just found out about them. Got to know them. And one of the things that came out in the conversation was that both of them independently had felt God stir something in them about France. And so sometimes I speak sort of, might say out of turn, or just blurt out things. And so I said, well, what are you doing about it? And they said, well, well, we're just sort of, we've been praying and we've been just sort of waiting. And I said, right, okay. I said, if you're serious about this, go away, pray, talk together. And if you really believe that God has spoken to you, come back to us and in a year we will get you to France. Now, I don't know quite where that came from. But that's what I said. And they were like, whoa, a bit shocked. But bless them, they took it seriously. They did go away. They did talk to each other. And they prayed. And they came back and they said, yes. Yes, we, we do feel God is stirring us about France. So we said, right, okay, well, let, let's sit down. Let's make a list of the things that you need to do. Let's prioritize that list. And we're going to meet with you once a month to see how you're getting on. And within a year... They were in France, and they're currently in the same place in the church in the south of France, La Source in Montpellier. Now, did I do anything? No, they did everything. They did it all. They did the plan. They did the work. They did all the organizing. We just talked to them and encouraged them and helped them and, you know, steer them a little bit where that was relevant. They did it all, and they got there by the good hand of God. You see, they had a passion, and they needed to do something about it. And I would say to you, what's your passion? Are you passionate like Nehemiah was about the people of God, about the church? If you are, then how are you involved? Now, there's lots of things you could do. Lots of things you could do. You don't have to be, you know, up the front to be passionate about the church. You can help. You know, you could go to your life group leader and say, how can I help you? What can I do to take the burden off you as life group leaders? How can I, how can I serve you to make your life easier? You could talk to Ashley about getting involved in the PA team 
or talk to Quincy and say, how can I help you? You see, when we step into this new day that we are now, it feels like there's lots of change, doesn't there? With Quincy taking on a, a new leadership role, Tim moving on, it's all, it feels a bit uncertain, but who knows what God has for us? But I tell you what I do know is in the days ahead, we need people of passion who are ready with their hand to get involved. Looking at Neil here, a few years ago, Ashburnham, God spoke to him about getting involved in people who are struggling with debt. And now we have a connect center and we've got a few people involved in it and we're beginning to help people who are struggling with debt. What did Neil do when he came back from Ashburnham? He sat back and he said, okay, God will set up a debt center and I'll help you. No, he didn't. He talked to people, he prayed. He pressed in, he talked to us as leaders and said, how can, I, how can we make this work? Is this something I've got to do on my own? Can I do it as part of the church? I see Robin there. He wants to get involved in politics. What does he do? He sits back and says, well, when, when somebody approaches me and says, well, wouldn't you like to be an MP? I think you'd be great at it. No, he's, he's getting his hands dirty with it. I don't mean that, sorry, that sounds dirty. awful, doesn't it? Hands dirty with <laughs> politics. That's not quite what I meant. <laughs> but you know what I mean? He's, he's, he's active. He's involved. He's pressing in. You know, he went all the way, was it Jarrow? All the way up to Jarrow to help with an election. Now, where's the success? Well, it's not there yet. But you keep going, don't you? Nehemiah spent months praying, planning, until that moment when the king spoke. And God's good hand was on him. What's your passion? Maybe it's not, you know, you love the church, but maybe, you know, I like bowling. And some of you may know that come the end of this year, I'm retiring as ops director of Newground. And several people have said to me, particularly some of the church leaders who know, oh, what are you going to do? Which is a bit of a funny question, isn't it? When you think you're retiring, you know, I, I've done 50 years, well, have I got to do more? <laughs> you know, what are you going to do? And I've said, well, I want to do more bowling. And they're sort of, oh. And several people had the same response. And so I started to think, oh, well, maybe, maybe I got it wrong. And so when we were in France a couple of weeks ago, we were on a campsite, we had a caravan there. And as we do, well, Liz certainly does, talks to all sorts of people and you know, we get invited in to have drinks and, and we, we invited somebody else in to have some watermelon with us. And one couple, while we were there, they came and they had a, a motor caravan and they came parked on the site right next to us. And so, you know, we said hello to them and you get chatting and they were English. And so we said, where are you from? And they said, Stroud in, in Gloucester. And I said, oh, I've been to Stroud bowling. She says, yeah, I think you've stayed in our house. <laughs> well, Really? <laughs> it, was, it was quite unexpected. And they run an Airbnb, and I did. I stayed in their house one night. Now, you might think, well, why didn't you recognize them? Well, the reason was, when I arrived at the house, the guy who opened the door, I thought was a builder, decorator. He was all in his overalls with paint all over him, and uh, he sort of looked to me surprised. That I said, oh, I think I've come to stay in this house. And, oh, have you? Oh, all right, okay. Oh, that's probably Chris. As he was talking about his wife. But I didn't realize that. And so he said, oh, you know, I can think I can show you the way and it's this room. And he went off and I went bowling. And, and it wasn't until about 
half past six, seven o'clock the following morning when I actually met Chris in a nighty and dressing gown as she was making breakfast. So I didn't sort of recognise her in quite the same way as they say we had clothes on, you know. And, uh, and so it was like amazing. Who'd have thought? You know, there's, what's that um, film, you know, in all the gin joints in all the world, you had to come into mine. And, you know, all the campsites in France, all the campsites on that camping area, and they came right next to us. And it's just like God going, no, it's okay. It doesn't matter what everyone else is saying. What's your passion? That's what I would say to you. What's your passion? It may not be that you think, oh, I can get involved in, the, in stuff in the church. Maybe it's leisure activities like bowling. But actually, I started bowling because I wanted to get to know people who were not Christians because I've got a heart for people to get saved. If that's your heart, what are you doing about it? If you want to see people healed, are you praying for healing? Are you involved in the 365 prayer list? When people come out the front for healing, do you get involved? Do you, do you hang back? Oh, maybe I should wait until somebody asks me. Or do you get up there and start praying? Because you believe that God is a God who heals. I want us to finish with a song which sort of echoes a little bit of the, the prayer of Nehemiah. But it, it has a phrase towards the end. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I have for your kingdom's cause. You say, God has put stuff in you. You may be good at something that somebody else is not good at. And you can do things that other people can't do. It doesn't have to be, you know, stuff that we see around us, although we can all get involved in serving in some ways. But actually, there are lots of things that we can do to serve the people of God, the city of God, the church of God. And we can serve the King of Kings and his good hand is upon us.